Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 140 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and before we uh, get things uh, underway here, I just uh, hope that all of you are safe and healthy uh, as we continue to fight the spread of um, of COVID-19, this pandemic, this lockdown that's uh, caused all of us, uh, probably everyone, to be staying at home and uh, interfering with our normal uh, way of life, but it's what we have to do. It's our civic responsibility to uh, stem the spread and do what we can uh, to get uh, things back to normal and uh, for what we do here to get us back onto the squash court. Some interesting stuff out there recently as the squash uh, world uh, attempts to grapple with how to get back on the court. There are several things being bandied about, like a not the, um, the new face mask uh, that uh, Richard Millman is uh, out there talking about, and, and that seems promising. Uh, Squash Canada, amongst others, have uh, issued uh, press releases in terms of how we can get back on court once uh, or how clubs uh, can consider reopening. So, you know, if people are discussing it, people are putting out uh, ideas and suggestions and recommendations. So hopefully uh, it's not too far off. But I think the most important thing, obviously, is to deal with this uh, right now and uh, get things taken care of. Uh, Stemming the spread is the key. So let's uh, keep up the good fight here. Um, Now, uh, today on episode uh, 140, we have a Canadian legend, uh, coaching legend. Uh, He's been a Canadian national team coach since back in the uh, mid-early 80s. Uh, He was a protege of um, the great Tony Swift, Canadian uh, squash uh, national team coach for many, many years. Uh, the two of them uh, worked together and they put together together the uh, national coaching uh, certification or, or level system in Canada. They worked on that together. Uh, Rene Denis is our guest and uh, he's been part of that uh, part of Squash Canada for many years. I remember him uh, back in the uh, back in the 80s, uh, mid 80s when I first started uh as a junior, and uh, he was one of the names who would come. He would come through town uh, in the Atlantic provinces once or twice a year to put on clinics, uh, maybe coaching clinics and uh, clinics for the players, uh, and doing le- uh, coaches doing their levels. And I always remember he was the <clears throat> one of the highly uh, respected coaches in the country at the time, and he remains so. Uh, right now, he's uh, I believe uh, part of the Jamaican national team coaching uh, system. He was a co-coach along with Karen Anderson there, uh, working with the likes of uh, Chris Binney and, and their uh, national team squad. And Renee comes on today, and we'd have a great chat about many, many things. Obviously, uh, I've been remiss not to have him on up until now, but uh, you know he's got so many great. Uh, stories to tell and so much uh, insight on the coaching game and that's exactly what we get into. Uh, he's been coached to uh, to many over the years, uh, particularly uh, on the North American side, the Canadian side obviously as a junior uh, with Jonathan Power and Graham Riding, Saber, but Gary Waite, Steve Lott and all the, all the great Canadian uh, players over the period while he was uh, coaching. Uh, he's got some tremendous uh, anecdotes there. Not only that, but just during his, you know, personally during his travels around the world, uh, so he shares a lot of that with us today. And uh, some great insight on coaching and uh, how to manage uh, what we're going through right now and just general insights on uh, uh, coaching insights. So uh, we're uh, really, really happy to have Renee on today on episode 140. Now, before we get into that episode, though, I just want to uh, talk to you about uh, 
one of our uh, sponsors uh, on the podcast. It's Active Scout, okay? And uh, they're doing a lot of great things now. So stay tuned and watch out for some of the, the big things coming out of Active Scout and App and uh, what um, what they do now. I just want to know, does your club still use uh, pen and paper for cork bookings? Uh, at Active Scout, we understand that that in these strange times, staffing duties will need to be redefined. Obviously, they will. Taking bookings does not need to be one of those duties. Active Scout is the world's most efficient booking app, and we are here to provide your members with a quick and easy way to organize their games and book a court. That's essential right now because uh, we don't want to be dealing with that at the facility. We want to be doing that off-site and getting, uh, you know, this will be key to getting the, the courts, uh, uh, the clubs back open. So until uh, there is a publicly available vaccine, Active Scout is offering all clubs access to our mobile booking app for free. That's right, I said it, for free. This is not a replacement for your club management system. If you don't have a modern club management system, we would be happy to suggest one that we integrate with. For right now, though, let's make your world a little less expensive. We, uh, our redesigned booking system will help keep your members appropriately dispersed throughout the day and make communication a whole lot easier. That's incredible. Uh, we will be relaunching the app again on June 1st, but reach out to us today at activescout.com. That's activescout.com so that we can begin setting up your new mobile booking system. That's activescout without the e.com. Great app there. Now, everybody, enjoy episode 140, Renee Denis. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Good to hear your voice. Good, uh, yeah, good to hear yours. Yeah. How are things in Dubai? Uh, uh, it's hot now. Yeah. <laughs> very hot. Now. Uh, well, uh, right about this time of year is when it does begin to, uh, to get hot. It's still bearable, but um, yeah, sooner, yeah, sooner went- we'll be uh, wanting to uh, self-isolate inside. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I was- when I was in Dubai, I went for it was supposed to be a 10k run, but I got lost, so it turned out to be a 22k run. Okay, the sign. Uh, uh, you were there at just a stopover at the airport, or you? Uh... Yeah, I was coming back from Pakistan and uh, missed the flight. There was a not enough gates for the uh, for the flight, so I ended up uh, when we were supposed to leave. The, the plane was on the tarmac, so we were two hours late. So I met. Missed my connection in Manchester. Yeah. So I ended up spending two days in Dubai. And okay. I guess I, but it was it was great. A good way to see it. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, recently or several years? Yeah. It was uh, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. I remember you po- remember? Yeah, I remember seeing uh, you posted that or something. Up. Yeah. The World Championships were in the France and then Manchester for the individuals. And my daughter was going to a wedding in Pakistan. And I planned on seeing her. In Vancouver, she says, "Well, I'm going to be in Pakistan." So, as I was preparing to go to Europe, I got a visa to go to Pakistan. So I went to uh, went to Karachi, and then it turns out they had a big Pakistan Open tournament in uh, Islamabad. Okay. So I, I went up there and uh, got to chill with uh, some Pakistani squash friends, which was great. From yeah, yeah, de- oh, definitely, yeah, and they they still they they like to uh, to treat people well over there once you get there, no? They re- yeah, red carpet and you know Jahangir <laughs> was there and yeah. Marzaman and I had a great chat with Kumar about uh, the World Open in 1979. Oh yeah, 
It was, yeah, I've been it was, trying. I, I've been I, ta- I've been uh, in the works of trying to get uh, get him uh, onto is, the podcast. He is so funny because oh. I I I'd seen Jeff Hunt in London, Ontario, at the Nash Cup, and we talked about it. And Jeff said, oh, "I was really disappointed with Kamar. You know, I thought he, I was expecting a tougher match, and I really wanted to have a go at it because it was over in 22 minutes. So I took a bus down from Ottawa <laughs> yeah, and yeah. went and saw it, and it was twenty five dollars a ticket." So oh really? Okay. It was over a dollar, over a dollar a minute. That's a lot. That's a lot uh, of money back then. Yeah, it was crazy, and uh, <laughs> so it was like over no time. And yeah. uh, I was flying to London the next day to go play in England. And uh, so when I saw Kumar Zaman, I said, "Kumar, you know, I was I was in Etobicoke in 1979." He said, "Oh yes, I had a flight to catch." <laughs> it was so funny because <laughs> he knew how how short the match was. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, uh, he remembered, you know. So it was, a, it was, yeah, it's a really cool guy. Really funny. Yeah. Oh, he seems like it, and uh, you know, he's really, you know, he he wants to come on. I think he's struggling a little bit with the, uh, you know, how to set up the technical side of it. So he says uh, his daughter's going to give him a hand. So hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get to hear oh, great. some great stories because yeah, they love uh, they love their they really they're really proud the Pakistanis of, of all the squash. Uh, the families and, and all the, all the great oh, yeah, players well, from uh, years gone by. Because uh, the guy that linked up there with Mibub Khan is, was Jantra's coach. For yeah. a while. And uh, <laughs> I, I saw him at the Tournament of Champions in 1996. So I actually had that photo, me, him, and Jantra on the Brooklyn Promenade. That was the year that uh, JP he won. breakthrough. Yeah, he yeah, won yeah. in 96. So that was... I mean, Craig Rowland beat Jantra, I think. Yeah, that's right. And he... Uh, uh, John beat Craig in the uh, finals. Yeah, uh, so that was a, that was pretty epic to be there for that. That was cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, that uh, that's one of the first squash videos I think um, that, that I ever purchased. There, I might have had a few before that, but that was a really that was a groundbreaking one. I think Dean Brown uh, got maybe got his feet wet because he he was uh, doing the color commentary along with uh, TSN's Vic Router. Oh yeah, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vic is struggling to figure out what's going on exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, the, you did Dean, that match uh, there with. Uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry, Rene. Well, I was doing a match with. Uh, he was doing a match with um, uh, uh, Martin Heath. You know, and he was saying, "Yeah, you know, Jonathan being a small guy." And Martin says, "You know, he's six foot. He's not that small." You know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess compared to Jean Bellevo, he was small, but you know. I guess, yeah, you know, you if know. he if he's doing a bit, you know, well, he he's typically uh, commentating like curling and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's does. his yeah, go-to I mean, sport. Yeah, yeah. When for squash enthusiasts, it's it's a little too descriptive at times, you know, because he's pointing out the obvious. But the TSN broadcasts were designed to be broadcast to you know non-squash aficionados who would be able to sort of learn some bit about the game, you know. So it was. Yeah, any any squash on TV was good, you know. Which Absolutely, yeah. And uh, last uh, a couple of weeks back, I had Dean Brown, and you know Dean, uh, you know how funny oh, yeah. he can be. And uh, he was yeah. telling the story how uh, he during that that match with Jonathan and Craig just um, before Jonathan had won, he was or maybe it was right, or, yeah, just before Jonathan had won, he had mentioned and he he, he told sort of a, a fib to uh, Router that uh, John Power Senior. had uh, taking a Greyhound bus that day to to watch the match to come down and watch the match, oh, really? uh, which which was to- which was a total uh, you know a fib. And then at the end of the match, uh, uh, 
John Power Sr. runs onto the court or whatever after Jonathan won, and he and he mentions it. Uh, yes, and there he is, his father. He's uh, just traveled here <laughs> by Greyhound bus. <laughs> Classic. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I I drove I drove down to Ottawa, and, and then while I was in Ottawa, while I was there, my house got uh, was burglarized here. They took just about everything. And, oh, really? Uh, so people, my friends in New York said, "So wait, you go to New York, and your house gets robbed in Ottawa. You're supposed to go to New York and get robbed in New York. You got it all wrong." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so well, anyway, uh, just by I mean, we've already started the podcast, but just by way of uh, you know. A belated introduction. Rene Denis, uh, he's been coaching at the highest uh, levels since the, the late 80s or mid 80s in, in Canada and now in uh, Jamaica. Uh, uh, Rene, really uh, fantastic to have you on. Sorry it took so long. I know we talked a little bit about it um, maybe a year and a half or so ago. Really appreciate your time. And I do remember, I, I mean, I remember you. I've cro- we've crossed paths a couple times uh, over the years. I played for Nova Scotia. Uh, and Newfoundland in the provincial teams and represented them at national events and stuff. So I, I, I kind of remember you. And you used to uh, used to do some clinics, if I'm not mistaken, in the Atlantic provinces on occasion. Yes, I did. Yeah, that was mm. uh, enjoyable. Beautiful part of the country, beautiful part of the world. And uh, I was kidding with someone. I said, putting on the podcast, and I always thought that it would take an epic uh, pandemic before I got onto the squash podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. And here it is. Yeah. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> Careful what yeah. you wish for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I enjoyed it. I did some clinics in uh, PEI and Nova yeah. Scotia. Um, back, I think it was in 1989, John Power Sr. invited me to do a camp with him and uh, the boys. And that was a real, that was actually a fun time. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Because well, they have a strong uh, you know, affinity, as you know, with uh, yeah. His, well, we stayed at his, grand, his uh, Jonathan's uh, grandfather's place, and we all slept in the attic, which is really cool. And uh, I remember the USS Coral Sea was in was in the harbor, so we did a tour of that. And you know, there was a guy from Alabama doing it, and he had a great draw. So I remember that because <laughs> Jonathan he says this could take a two point four ton pickup truck and send it two miles. <laughs> and then Jonathan, <laughs> so how how far would it send a human? So the guy said, "You want to get on?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was good. We used to run in what's that? Point Pleasant Park, I think. That's right. Yeah, a great place for training. Yeah, yeah. It's near the. Yeah, and I, I remember near my yeah, old squash ahead. club. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we John. I remember how much Jonathan loved to run. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what did he say? I think it was on Super Squash Shatter, or maybe it was uh, on that uh, that video. Power. How, what's it called? Power uh, something, right? The YouTube yeah, thing. Yeah, he said he hadn't run yeah. run for since he was thirteen or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he finished first, uh, and he but he, but he wasn't sweating. And then I realized that he found a shortcut through the woods. And <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, cheeky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, well, now thanks to uh, to squash stories, Renee. I mean. Uh, on Facebook, there are these pictures that come out. It's like an archive of great photos from mm. years gone by. And I remember recently, um, maybe a few months back, there was a photo of uh, the Canadian Junior National Team. It was uh, Jonathan was in the photo, and I think uh, Graham Riding might have been there, a couple of others, and of course uh, you were there. I think in that in that mm-hmm. photo. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so that would have been back in maybe 84 to 88, right around in that uh, time frame. I, I think actually it was 89. Uh, 89. I think the photo was from the Scottish Junior Open. Um, okay. Just, just, after, just after Christmas. And okay. uh, Jonathan won that tournament, uh, which was great. And uh, What do you remember about those days? I mean, we all know, uh, I mean, I know JP from when he was a junior. I, I played against him uh, once. <laughs> uh, he was much younger than me, but we played in, a, in Saber Butt's uh, big junior tournament. His dad put on every uh, every right. year the one with the great. Um, um, the, he used to always have this great buffet uh, lunch he'd put together. Yeah, was that the chili? A, was that the chili was fantastic. Yeah, was that at the Duffins Club. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, what what was Jonathan like back then uh, as a junior, especially in terms of of you being, you know, responsible as the coach? I mean, we I know he he always had that. Uh, you know that 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 flair about him, that sort of temperament that was uh, a bit of volatile. You know, volatile might be. Yeah, I guess that's not an understatement. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> no. well, he was he was like that then, and uh, I mean, he was a special talent, and you knew right away that. Uh, like I first saw Jonathan in 1984. Uh, I had a camp in Ottawa, and he was about ten years old or so, and a tremendous number of ju good juniors were in there. There was the Margot Green and uh, her sisters, you know, Kathy and Carolyn. And it was a good, strong junior camp. Dinah Edge was my assistant and who went on to be uh, stellar at Harvard. And she was my top junior and senior in Canada at the time. Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, we'd start every morning with about 20, 30 minutes of solo practice. And he came in the first day and I don't know what he got. He got a decent total. But by the end of the week, it was exponential. He had like, you know, 300 or 400 drives in a row without making a mistake. You know, he had such good hands then. And I said, wow, yeah. this guy's going to be great. So you could, you know, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. And both he and Graham, uh, you know, we went on tour. They were turning heads because we'd been there the year earlier and uh, he wasn't uh, properly seated. And I mentioned it to the SRA. You know, I remember talking to Andrew Shelley. And said, I don't think uh, he should be anywhere. He sh he's in the wrong spot. He's going to turn some heads. And well, lo and behold, he did, you know, and he went through the draw quite deep. And the following <laughs> year at the Brit British Junior Open, he, uh, he, actually, he actually won, which was, you know, great for his. Uh, well, he lost in the finals. But he won the Scottish. But, you know, he yeah. beat a lot of very good players along the way. I think he loved that. Yeah, I guess at, I mean, at that time, it, it was sort of a, you know, you, you saw a Canadian name in the draw. It, he might be half decent, but, uh, you know, definitely yeah, well, you, not the considered base, the one of the, uh, the favorites. <laughs> well, the basic response was, what, from, from the colonies? What? <laughs> it was like, you know. <laughs> yeah, from the colonies. Uh, you know, and, and, and the way Jonathan played, uh, you know, sending people the wrong way, the looks, the flicks, all of that stuff. And, you know, it was a game changer. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, was, I mean, it was, I was telling someone in Barbados because they were asking me about the squash pass yeah, this weekend. And I said, I've coached against Diego and I've coached Jonathan. And I don't know which is more difficult. <laughs> you know, they're both very difficult because <laughs> Jonathan's going to do what Jonathan is going to do. And yeah. sometimes he's so outside of the box coaching wise that he plays a shot you didn't think of playing because you didn't know it existed, you know, because he would too. So what, yeah, what, what was that like for you, Renee? I guess back, back at that time, I mean, I, I saw the, we saw the footage on the YouTube uh, uh, thing there where Gene Turk tried to give JP some advice in between games and it didn't go so well. 
Um, just yeah, well, wondered... I saw that because I well, that was a <laughs> sort of an aha moment when I saw Gene's face. And I went, oh, so that's what I look like. Uh, <laughs> because because yeah. you'd say something and, you know, uh, it was, you know, you were giving him good advice at times, you know, because keep trying to keep it tighter or, you know, we never had to tell him not to attack because you know that was going to happen. Right. It was just sometimes, you know, set it up, set it up a bit more because I enjoy watching someone who can, I mean, I, I still watch Jonathan's YouTube videos, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, yeah. you know, little I mean, those matches, and, you know, uh, my fa I think my favorite match uh, of his is, um, and I was only a stone's throw away. I should have gone to, to watch it. It was the Hong Kong open 97 or 98. He, he won it. He played, uh, Simon Park in the semi and then Peter in the final. And, uh, uh, he was just unbelievable, and and he was very very uh, outspoken in both matches. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wasn't shy. No, because I remember sitting with John at Barrington at the uh, at Lambs uh, back in '89. I'm ninety, I guess it would have been January '90. And you know, he's saying, "Oh, well, it's, it's brilliant." You know, I mean, Jonathan Jonathan didn't know what to make of it because you could see the brilliance, uh, but you could also see some of the sort of. Uh, lack of discipline sometimes, but yeah. uh, you knew that uh, he, you know he was going to be great. And uh, when he won in '96, see, he really tied up the game a lot tighter. And yeah. uh, but he would soak everything in. Uh, just great to great to watch. Uh, you just want to sometimes you, as a coach, you just don't want to get in the way. You want to let someone do what they're going to do really well because he's just an amazing athlete. Amazing so how do you how do you how do you reconcile that? Like, what, what? How does it manifest itself when you, <clears throat> when you know that, you know, maybe if you say the wrong thing, it could, it could affect things. But I guess when you go over and give advice to, to JP under those circumstances, you you kind of know what you got to say, don't you? Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> you always try to get a bit of a feel for everybody you coach. You like to talk to them beforehand and ask them, how do you like to be coached? You know, because yeah. You're you're not trying. You're trying not to get in the way. So it's not about the coach. It's about the athlete. Mm -hmm. So you know sometimes you know like for instance with Chris Binney, uh, you know we always say look for two things that he's doing well that he should build on, and two things that you know someone else is hurting him, and try to simplify it and get that across. You know, but right. sometimes uh, you can give someone some advice. And they're not feeling it that day, or it's good advice, but they're not getting a chance to execute. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people watch average squash players play and will say, oh, "That guy's not volleying enough." I said, "Well, there's a reason for that. He doesn't volley very well." <laughs> so you got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to look, you got to look at what tools the person brings to the game. And in Jonathan's case, it was never a case of not having a full tool set. You know, it's just a question of mm. uh, sometimes, you know. Don't be too risky. Don't attack. Don't attack too much. But that's also his game. So it was difficult to coach in that regard because uh, you didn't want to stymie him from being who he is. But yeah. you also can anybody can see if there's some four or five on four stairs, uh, you got to tidy that up. You can't make those. So whether you you know be play a little bit a little more defense and then set it up longer, or you know or try to get him to. Uh, realize where he's where things where where he's people are letting where he's letting himself down as far as the squash goes. So, right. but I mean, as far as difficult to coach, he won most matches, so it wasn't that difficult. You know, it was only when we got to like the finals where he wanted to, uh, you know, just get him to 
follow the plan. And if you talk with someone beforehand, you have a plan and nobody can reprimand you as a coach if you're just encouraging someone to follow the plan that we agreed on, which is a good plan. So sometimes as a coach, you got to get your athlete to believe in the plan that we both thought was great at the time, you know, and if it's working great, if it isn't working, you got to ask yourself, are you actually doing it? And if you're doing it and it's not working, then we need to change plans. But if, if, if you're if things are going well, you just keep going. And if you're not following the plan, then you've got to get to it. And you've got to ask yourself, why is, why isn't it working? Is the other guy doing something that's sort of mellifying what you're trying to do? But he was great to coach. And so was Graham. Graham was mm. so, so mature, you know, oh, yeah. totally different personality. He was more yeah. cerebral, pensive. And, uh, you know, he would play all the shots you thought we're going to play you know and he would just i mean graham graham i had him we spoke last week on on this podcast and uh you know i'd forgotten obviously he made it to number 10 in the world but i'd forgotten just Mm -hmm. how you know how well he did i mean the semifinals of the world open and he took out matthew um alex goff and peter nickel and then lost in five to linku and he had match ball to get to the final so i mean yeah I mean, that, I mean, that's the who's who of uh, of that generation, basically. Yeah, I mean, and, there. Yeah. and Graham had the good fortune or misfortune to be there at the same time as Jonathan. I mean, you know, yeah. without Jonathan, we'd all be talking in Canada about Graham writing, Graham writing, Graham writing. Uh, he was that good, you know, to, get tenth, to be 10th in the world. That would put you, you know, in the upper stratosphere if you were playing hockey, you know, you would oh, yeah. be, you know, a... Steve Eiserman or someone, or you would be, you know, uh, uh, you'd be the best player on your team and in the top six or seven, ten guys in the league. And uh, you'd be a household name if you were in Canada. So that's how good you have to be. And you have to be that consistent because you've got to defend those points and you've got to day in, day out. It's a, it's a real grind. It's not easy. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It must have been a great experience uh, working with those guys oh. as juniors and, and to well, see them, you know, sort of evolve into what, you know, from, from their, their great junior careers into tremendous, uh, you know, a world champion and a uh, world open semifinals. There. Well, I remember we did a camp in 1988 at Valhalla. And oh. I remember it because it was just after, uh, it was during the Olympics. So it was September, October, the Olympics were in Seoul. And Ben Johnson had just won and then lost at the goal. Yeah. And well, uh, all us Canadians will we'll never forget that. I know. He was an amazing Canadian, and then he became Jamaican. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't that, was that the year? That wasn't the year Lennox Lewis won us a gold medal, right? He was Canadian, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 80, 88, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he won the gold. We, we, we import some good people. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, but uh, I remember we, I sat down, we had a camp, and I gave a little speech about, you know, having goals, Richie Carpentencio, and I was convinced. I said, we will have a we we could have a world champion. We could have a guy who we can have guys in the top ten, and two of those guys were in that group. And uh, yeah. it was kind of prophetic because I, I really Did, I could you feel that they were that they were listening. Well, I don't know if I uh, <laughs> I would hope so, but they you want people to believe yeah. that you know. I always tell people if you can uh, if we can produce world class hockey players produce world-class water players you know uh, one thing about working in jamaica jamaica has a very high opinion of their athletes and justifiably mm-hmm. so uh and 
Jamaica punch is way above its weight. So when you go to the Commonwealth Games or the Pan Am Games with the Jamaican team, you're, you're there with the best athletes of the world. I mean, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with Usain Bolt, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, you know, uh, Victoria mm-hmm. Campbell brown uh, And I wanted to instill in our guys that you could be the best. Our facilities were, were the best. Coaching was up there. It's just a question of going out there and wanting it. It's about intrinsic motivation. And uh, if you decide that you want to be a really good squash player, put in the work, do what you have to do. And certainly Jonathan did, Graham did, uh, Gary Waite did, Dale Steiner. There's a whole list, Jamie Crombie, a whole list yeah. of pioneers who proven that you go and do it. You know, there, there are just a lot of other things that buy for your attention as an adolescent uh, that make you say, well, you know, because Canada, the big ticket is hockey and in England it's football and, you know, in yeah. the U.S. it's one of the three or four big sports. But uh, when people put that, put squash on that same level of, uh, of importance, uh, you know, you got to have the ability, but you got to have the work ethic and you got to put the hours in, you know, uh, uh, Malcolm uh, Gladwell says, you know, talks about 10,000 hours, you know, yeah. there's a lot to be said about that, you know, going on there and hitting, hitting shots. And the difference between the guys who start in the NBA and the guys in the bench is about a half hour practice time per day as they were growing up. Yeah. You know? and, no, I'm just uh, watching this, uh, this Netflix series, the, uh, the last dance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh amazing, my goodness. You know? I mean, I have and a, I mean, I always, I always liked Michael Jordan and that there was always this little thing, you know, there was some negative thing about it, but after watching this, I mean, I have this newfound respect for the guy. I, I mean, he's just head over heels better than anyone ever to play that game and and you can just it's palpable how competitive and, and the work that he put in despite yeah. all of the other talks ab- nonsense yeah. and when know. he t- when he talks about not making the high school team and yeah. you know do you take your ball and go home or do you decide no way i'm gonna i i'm gonna prove them wrong and uh that's what you gotta have you know and i've met a lot of great athletes over the years you know i've met Gila Flara and Talk to him. We had lunch together once, which was great. Like that was a mind-blowing experience. For Sorry, who, who was that again, Rene? Guy Lafleur. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. 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 Legend. You know, and, uh, <laughs> legend. You know. I mean, he he and was I, uh, he was the greatest. Uh, I mean, there six, was Gret- Gretzky came after season. him, obviously, but uh, you just yeah. lo- he oh, was like Gretzky seven, in, a, in a way. You know, you just oh, loved yeah. to watch him play. He would fl- yeah. fly down the wing, you know, and the, yeah, the six, hair flowing, the hair going, going. you know, and, uh, <laughs> smoking you know, cigarettes in between, <laughs> yeah. in between periods. <laughs> yeah. He didn't smoke as much as people think, you know, I think it was blown up a little bit. Yeah. But it was probably he, high, you know, a bit of hyperbole but, there, but, uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, he was just a great, you know, and a very decent down to earth guy. And Super I, I, nice I, guy. It seemed. Yeah. When I was in England in late 79, um, a friend of mine used to send me Le Journal de Montréal from Canada mm-hmm. in like 20 issues so I could read about the hockey and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's cool. So when I had Guy and I said, uh, talk to Guy, and I said, Guy, if someone would have told me 20 years ago that we'd be having lunch, <laughs> you know, together, I would have said, you're crazy. He said, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did he, did, yeah. But did he have any connection with, with the squash community? Was he... Uh... No, no, it turned out that, you know, uh, his son and my son were both at the same school. Okay. And it was a father-son, father-son day. So okay. I drove down. And so I got to say I beat Gilaflad at basketball. I'm definitely better than Gilaflad when it comes to playing basketball, despite my, my stature. 
and uh, <laughs> except that I, uh, yeah. I think guaranteed I are, though I, you're I, much fitter than him. Maybe now, who knows? <laughs> the uh, the uh, <laughs> funny thing was, I arrived in a Chev and he arrived in a helicopter. There was no oh, difference. Okay. There, but, you know, but, uh, but he was so yeah. happy that uh, that w- that he could speak French because it was in southern Ontario down near Wellingport, and that uh, you know that. He said, yeah, let's go have lunch, you know, because he's obviously a lot more comfortable speaking French than English. So I said, yeah, let's do that. So it was great. That's, that's incredible. Now, um, now you also coached uh, the Canadian, you were assistant coach on the Canadian men's national team, and that was uh, mm-hmm. 88 to 90. Is that correct? No, about 84. 84. About 88. 80, 84 yeah, to 88. 80. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay, I, I so, misread that. Um, now, I'm assuming that uh, Tony Swift would have been the head coach at that time? That's right. Yeah, yeah so sure. before we get into the, the, the wildness that must have been that men's national team, uh, first, uh, t- talk, talk to or speak to, uh, to Tony Swift because, uh, I mean, he, he's a legend in Canada in, in the coaching community. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, maybe some people don't know much about him. So talk about Tony. Why, uh, who is Tony Swift and why was he such a, a great coach and leader uh, at that time for, for Canadian squash? Yeah. Well, Tony was like a coach's coach. He really was organized, detailed, methodical. Uh, he understood the game. You know, he came over in England from England and he basically put together the coaching certification program in Canada. So okay. I was happy. I was really happy to work with him. He came very good friends. He was the best man at my wedding. Uh, You know, and they, uh, every time I was in Toronto, uh, we, I'd be staying at Tony's, Tony and Sue's place. And we actually went through the coaching progressions together because the, uh, the level four program had never been done. So we were sort of the pioneers. So we were also the course presenters and attendees at the same time. And we went Mm -hmm. through the theory sessions together. So, but he was um, a very good player in his own right. uh, You know, a uh, great coach and I was happy to be working with him because I think I learned a lot from him and it was a great 87 at the world championship was a great experience because we, you know, we reached the quarterfinals. We lost to England, but we got to play in the Albert hall. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And who would have been on, who was on that team? Um... So on that team was uh, Dale Steiner, Jamie Crombie, Gene Turk and Sabre, Butt. so okay. pretty strong team. Oh, great, great you know, team. Yeah. Uh, great team, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, no, I remember. Uh, I remember. I played Saber in uh, junior nationals. It was in. Um, I forget how old we were. Uh, it was in Ajax, Ontario. So that would have been like I would have been thirteen or something. Yes, and Toronto gateway to gateway to Ajax. Yeah, yeah. We play. It was at Tone uh, Dennis Goodfellow's club. That, right. That was weird. Yeah. And uh, so, anyways, I get out there and I actually I won the first five points against Saber. And then he, then, uh, then suddenly, I think his brother said something, or from the gallery, and then he, won, then he got twenty-seven points in a row. So, ooh, <laughs> wow, yeah. So obviously he he was trying something; it wasn't working, and then he just went back to being back normal. Saber, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was great. He we had an interesting experience there because in the preliminary rounds he got clipped in the eye, ooh, okay, uh, against Finland. And uh, I, I actually going through the picture. I'll, I'll send you a photo because there's me and Tony bent over Saber, and there was a they had a boxing doctor who was there. Just walking, stitch a fight doctor, send him back on. Yeah, yeah. no, because every club call the fight. A, a method. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he said oh, I've stitched boxers up like this before, and I said, well, I don't think so. 
it turns out he had a detached retina. So oh, no. uh, okay. we were, yeah. So we, we were went down to Harley okay. Street, went to a hospital, and I spent time. So I mean, Saber Sa- someone so he was so understated. You know, he he did things quietly, mm-hmm. and, and uh, but you know, on the, again on squash stories, they're always posting yeah. old draws and things like that. And um, you go in and you look, and I mean, he's he beat a lot of really good players and went deep into a lot of uh, big events. Yeah, very skilled player. I mean, he I think got the highest seventeen or top, yeah. certainly the top twenty. I mean, uh, you know, Jamie recently put a list of the top hundred Canadians of all time. You know, and he's he's right up there. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was a great talent. We we did really well. It was a very it was a good experience for me. Uh, good guys the you know you, these are when you take a team on tour or a little world championships you, you spend so much time together you know you learn to sort of get along and because two of the guys are from out west uh, yeah. we all had stetsons so we were wearing stetsons all around <laughs> london you know yeah <laughs> i mean it was it was pretty cool you know it was uh, it was great but to play in the albert hall so i got i practiced with gino once you know and i said because i wanted to get on the court and at least say i hit a squash ball with albert hall <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, it was an amazing, and they had you know something like know, four thousand spectators in this. It's, it's a large ball, so it's one of the I think probably holds the record for the largest largest crowd ever. Really, so, close was, to five thousand uh, people. I was going to ask yeah. you. I mean, you, you obviously uh, you mentioned uh, Jamie Crombie was there, and he's a guy that, you know I know reasonably well, and we we've hung out at, at national events and, and things like that. And uh, he enjoys the social side of things, but uh, you know you get to know him and you get to see him play and he's super, super fit and strong and athletic. So it's sort of, it's a little bit deceiving. You know, he comes off as this guy who, you know, he likes to have a lot of fun, but then, uh, you know, once he's on court, it's all business and he's probably, you know, you don't get maybe Dale Steiner, but you don't get many guys as fit and as strong as Jamie out there. Yeah. And he was passionate and now I can see it because, you know, we sort of liaised through Facebook and when he was putting this list together, he seeked me out and asked me what my opinion was there were the players that he might not know of because i'm a bit older than jamie uh and he's passionate he's passionate about the squash passionate about coaching yeah. passionate about you know where also he does a lot of cycling and uh triathlons i believe so he's really passionate i see his times he's still still super fit you know so i gotta i gotta work hard to keep up with jamie yeah you gotta yeah you gotta keep up with him you don't want him to have one over on you uh, I think he already does. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Look, now I wanted to ask you: Were were you part of the team? Uh, I think that went to uh, Egypt. Was it Egypt? Um, with Steve that Lawton, was, Max Withers. That was, yeah, no, yeah. I was supposed to go, uh, but uh, yeah. I got married uh, during. <laughs> okay. So, oh yeah. And I couldn't convince my uh, wife. That we should honeymoon at the, in Egypt. Although I thought that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that was, uh, Tony, yeah, Tony was my best. Tony was my best man, mm-hmm. and uh, but he went off to, uh, to Egypt after that. And, uh, we went to Antigua, which was cool. Oh, that, so, yeah. uh, but I, uh, Tony has. I, you should get Tony on this, and you really should get Brian Patterson, who's um, so instrumental in squash in North America because he got he used to tour Canada. He got me involved in squash. I lived with him in England. He was the UK, you know, top 16 in the world. And, uh, you know, he, um, anyways, I'm going off on a tangent here. But, yeah. Uh, well, what I was t- going to get to talk was, to you about the uh, world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I had Steve Lawton on uh, way back and uh, mm-hmm. Steve, I know Steve really well. And you, you know, the character that he is, 
and he was talking about um you know th that experience in, in Egypt and uh, you know obviously he uh, he was a bit of a loose cannon uh but still when he when he got on the court he he played uh, an exceptional brand of squash i was just wondering if you have any uh Lawton uh, anecdotes that, that you could share on yeah what well, took Steve uh, on tour in 85 and that was sort of a precursor for the world championship so uh, it was sort of a slash honing your skills developmental tour because it was Steven it was Max Withers Sushane Sony and Gary Wade Gary was yeah. only 18 at the time you know right and uh, we did well the SRA and so the, those, those guys you had to make sure that they took care of Steve yeah, and <laughs> the, uh, the eighteen-year-old yeah. had to take care of the the twenty-eight-year-old. Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember vividly how much Gary Wade would eat because we used to go to restaurants mm. and they would uh, he would order and the waitress would leave because she she assumed he'd he'd ordered for the entire group. <laughs> okay. That's just for him. She says what? You know, so it's, uh, it's but Steve was great, and you know he was a bit older than me, so it was great to have someone who you know a bit older and he would be a sort of almost uh, working in tandem because I could bounce ideas off him because yeah. uh, you want, because he, he was good that way as well. Was he very much so? And I bumped yeah. into Steve last year in Vancouver visiting my daughter and uh, we had a few drinks and uh, we remember that that was a great tour. You know, and we, uh, uh, he's a great guy. You know, yeah. the, one thing about squash is that so many really good people, you know, you seldom do I come across, jerks you know because, <laughs> yeah yeah you know, no, i mean they're everywhere but yeah. but but you know they're but as a collective uh, i think you're right you know there's so many good people and we you know we we stick together we love this game and uh you know. yeah wherever you go you go to a squash club and you're feeling home you know and everywhere yeah. i go i always uh uh i i went i went to bangkok once and i said i have to go and see a squash club and um so I asked the taxi driver, I said, could you take me to a squash? And he looked it up in the dictionary because it was a bit of a language issue. <laughs> so he took you to, he to a farm. Yeah. No, he took, he took me to a supermarket. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, read, <laughs> he read orange squash, diluted orange drink. Okay. Said, no, this isn't it. So I, I didn't go, but I, I got to play in Malaysia and Hong Kong after that. So it was pretty cool. Well, I had a similar experience because I went to, uh, I was teaching in South Korea, uh, went over there in 1996 and of course I wanted I was you know fresh off of playing a lot of squash in Canada so as soon as I arrived I uh, you know I tried to find this squash some squash and eventually I found this one club it was in the basement of a bus station and uh, you know they had three or four courts but all the uh, like the ceiling was right on the the outline you know basically you could touch your racket almost to the the top. <laughs> well, maybe you, maybe you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sorry, I'm, I'm good in the short jokes. Yeah, uh, but eventually, I did, I did manage to find some great squash there. It was in its infancy at the time. It's still more or less it is, but uh, uh, they, they've sort of developed uh, a bit of a, you know, very de a decent squash program over there. They have some good female players, actually. Yeah, the men struggle and, because. Uh, uh, you know, they have this mandatory military service, right? When you're yeah. sort of in your, you know, you're prime. young and then you're prime. Yeah, they've yeah. got to go for three years, so. But, uh, yeah, wherever you go, if you can find a squash club, you get to meet some people and you get to play some squash. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, 
I remember I was in, I went to Singapore uh, and I was with my wife and uh, I stayed at the uh, Stanford. Uh, what was it called? Anyways, there was a Westin. Westin had just opened up across the street. Long story short, they had five squash courts, eight tennis courts on the 10th floor. So this yeah. was a, the largest hotel in Asia at the time and two 74 story towers and another tower. And it was all a fitness complex. So I'm playing with my wife and then we have a little fun game. And then the, the pro uh, challenged me, you know, and, they, and in Asia, they like to bet. So he says, uh, what do I get if I beat you? And I said, well, what do you want? He says, how much do you want to bet? He says, well, I'll take your racket if I win. I said, well, okay. I said, what do I get if I win? And he says, well, uh, how much is your racket worth? I said, I don't know. It's probably worth a hundred bucks back then. He yeah. says, well, I'll give you a hundred bucks. So anyways, I played the guy and I beat him. And he said, you played stronger against me than her. I said, I've got to sleep with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's a whole different story. Yeah. So, Singapore, so, uh, they've had a lot of squash there. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. It was back then. They were, it was just big boom in Singapore. You know, I had Peter Hill and they had a lot of the... Great, what, great what talent. What's his name? Abedin, Zainal, Abedin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the facilities were second. And they even had an uh, American doubles court. Yeah, jumbo that, doubles. In that facility. They call yeah. it, yeah. No, I managed to get over there and play a couple times as well. It's that colonial thing. Uh, they, they've, they've got it, uh, several, several really nice private facilities over there too. Hello. Boys on tour was great. And yeah. Taking the, uh, uh, you know, I remember because you, you know, the funny thing is, is you often remember things that happen off the court more than you remember things on the court because they sort of, sort of all blend together. And uh, but uh, we we surprised everybody in Scotland, and we all the guys were complaining about why do we have to go? Why can't we go to London for New Year's Eve until they experience Scottish hogmanay, which was a party of all parties. Right. And uh, I was trying to corral these got, these kids because uh, they were all over. I said, if we get lost, we'll meet right here. And this looks like a central location. And he, they said, okay. Well, at midnight, no one was there. And <laughs> bell, bells are ringing. This is right by Edinburgh Castle. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm standing there and people are spitting at me. And I'm going, what the heck is going on here, you know? And huh. uh, they're all drunk and they're spitting, spitting at me. Spitting at you. Okay. Spitting at me. And it's and I was in the heart of Midlothian, and it's traditional to spit on the heart of Midlothian. Uh, New Year's when New Year's comes in. You okay, it. you're in the heart of Midlothian. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they're spitting at me. And yeah. So the, the guys finally got there, and I was gone. They said, "Were well, you were there?" I said, "I was tired of being spat on by all these passers-by." But they had <laughs> they really enjoyed Hog Hogmanay, and then we played the British, and then we played a tournament in Surrey which was great. And we ended up the tour. And I remember because Brian Patterson came to visit me and I was in one room when the boys were in the other. And I said, I better go check on the boys. And all of a sudden it went dead quiet. So, you yeah. know, something's up. Yeah. And I'm looking around and I see Graham there sitting there and he says, uh, I said, Graham, what do you got behind your back? And then he pulls out this huge can of Foster's. <laughs> those big tubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I give this speech. I said, I am so disappointed that you guys would do this behind my back and not even invite me. <laughs> and then they all started laughing and I said, go on boys, just don't go crazy. You know, so, yeah. and that's, you know, so, as a coach, sometimes you have to sort of do that just to yeah. say, you know, you're, I'm not 
that different than you guys. I just got to have, I have to have a few more boundaries. Uh, and I guess so. that speaks, that, that speaks to your longevity in the game. I mean, you know, when to say, you know, what yeah, to say yeah. and when to say it. You know? Yeah. You know, there's a time to read the riot act. There's a time to say, Hey, you, you worked hard. We had a good tour. Uh, please don't tell your parents, but you know, but you know, you just say what there's nothing, there's no, nothing to be gained to sort of hammer the, you know the rules down in that position when it's the day before you left. You know, because now there's we've one, all been fourteen, fifteen. Now there's one thing right now. You might be able, you might know uh, something about this. I, and I remember uh, Gary back in the wooden racket days. Anyways, Gary, wait, he would have been in an age, maybe one or two age groups ahead of me. But I always remember, and I, looking at his racket, I think he was I'm not sure if it was a Dunlop or a Grays or something, but his grip was just absolutely massive. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, he. Do you? I mean, uh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, huge. And uh, you know, Gary, I remember he lost a match that he thought he should have won. He must have did like almost a thousand court sprints on his own just to punish himself. You know, until he almost was sick. You know, and uh, uh, and I remember he just carried everything he had in a garbage bag. (laughs) Gary, you got a squash bag? It's just not big enough. You know, so we carry your stuff on this tour in this garbage bag. But. uh, He was, you know, and listening to Susudio by Phil Collins in the bus, you know, so. uh, Yeah. It was great because we were going up and down the coast of England, uh, you know, so we played everywhere and uh, we did a a great tour. Good good memories. Yeah, definitely. Now, now you've uh, parlayed your Canadian experience. You mentioned it earlier to, uh, you know, coaching the Jamaican uh, national team along with uh, is it Karen Anderson? I think you're you're doing yes uh, together with with Karen and you you've had some reasonable success and you've been working with uh, with Chris Binney quite a bit who's also been yeah. making inroads. So uh, what's that experience like and how uh, how did you um, uh, end up coaching the Jamaican team? Well, I'd been to Jamaica on holiday and I'd gone to Ligonier Club and just did these volunteer clinics because I'd go to the North Coast and the guy who was at a hotel at Couples uh, was one of Jamaica's top players, Steve Smith, and he said, oh, you should come to Kingston. And I said, sure. And I did a little free clinic and talked about squash. We did some circuit training and things like that. So, and every time I would go to Jamaica, I would always try to get into Kingston. You know, unlike what most people do, they stay avoid Kingston, but I, I enjoyed it. It was you got a little more feel what Jamaica was like. And uh, uh, so all of these sort of things, I just pop in and just donate my time because you love squash and you want, you want it to grow. And, uh, and back in 2011, I guess, was summertime, uh, Joe Binney, Chris's mom, reached out to me and said, would you like to coach Chris at the Pan Am Games in Guadalajara? And uh, I think his Trinity coach uh, was supposed to go with him, uh, Paul Asciante. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a conflict. I think he ended up because he had to. Co- I think he ended up coaching the Americans. You couldn't couldn't do both. Oh, so right, right. I, I, I went. I went down uh, with Chris, and uh, you know, I I worked with Chris over the years. Just you know, we we just watch him play and coaching him with Karen at the Jamaican Championships and whatnot. And uh, I was happy that he invited me and asked for me. And uh, we then had a talk about, you know, how far do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I said, well, if you really want to work hard, if there's somebody I can help, I'll certainly help you. So it's all, there's really no money in squash. 
um, you know, so whatever I do is just basically, you know, we're volunteering a lot of time, just coming in. Watch, I would drive, drive to Greenwich. I just got a memory on Facebook today, so I drove to Greenwich, Connecticut, from Ottawa, watched them play, and drove back. You know, and same things in Ontario. So if it was in, uh, you know, basically fifteen hundred kilometers from Ottawa, I would try to get there. Uh, but he's really. You know, as a junior, he was a prankster. Uh, you, you would, we would never <laughs> he, have known. He's, he's a Rory he McIlroy doppelganger. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> he was a bit of a chunky kid. You know, and yeah. uh, but then you know he he went to Trinity and he really uh, worked hard, developed a squash, and he's got uh, so many tools as a player. You know, he's, yeah. sometimes he. Yeah, I've watched he, a few of his, a few of his matches. I'm I'm impressed, and um, I mean, you know. I, I think he, he's results. got a lot of potential. Yeah, you know, a big had a big result in Australia. You know, uh, you know uh, that was huge. Uh, you know, at the World Championships in France, uh, he took a game off uh, Simon Rosner. You know, and Simon said that guy doesn't play like he's seventy eighth in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, so he's he's got great hands. It's and he's working with Rod Martin now. And uh, okay. You know, and so when you can work, work with someone of that caliber, you know, who and and hang in there because Rod works people pretty hard. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, I think he said he mentioned that on uh, on the podcast. How uh, yeah, you know, it's not all all fun and games. No, no, but it's no, hard work, and and uh, that's what he wants, basically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know, he's got great hands, a good squash acumen, you know, he's sometimes a little too tough on himself, you know, and he gets really wound up, you know, and he knows, uh, but, you know, that's... He had a bit, of a, he he had a bit of a scare, though, didn't he? Tell, uh, I mean, that was, uh, that was scary. Yeah, that was really scary, you know, mm. I mean, uh, he reached out to me and so did his mom, you know, because uh, before he was posted on, and, you know... And, I mean, we all thought and, it was, it was a, I guess, I forget the term for it, but it was a mini sort of a mini stroke, stroke. Yeah. yeah yeah you know and he because I, I saw him in new york and we talked about it just mm. after after that because i went to tournament champions uh, back in 2019 with stay with brian and i met with chris in connecticut on the way home and uh, he, he was lucky enough he lent me money because i lost my wallet in new york i need some i need some cash to get home yeah. So, and uh, it was a good thing because I had to uh, st stay in Watertown overnight because it was a uh, had lake effect snow and they had about forty centimeters of snow in twelve hours. You know, so we weren't going anywhere. So I was happy that I had bumped into him. But he told me the whole story and it was really scary. You know, because mm -hmm. he was talking to his girlfriend and uh, you know he was beginning to drool and slur his words and she said something's wrong. So she called nine one one and uh, off he went. You know, so. Is that we all have a, a, a large number of people have a little small hole in your heart and it sort of seals itself, uh, but his didn't. So, it was, uh, mm. but he was given the green light to continue training and everything would be yeah. okay. And uh, but scary, yeah. You're that, not, yeah, you're I mean, those first that, that first few the first few weeks must have been uh, a bit scary for for everybody. I, yeah, you know. everyone because you just don't. It really puts things into perspective. Much like what's going on now in the world, you know, you just say, yeah. okay, squash is secondary. You know, how's your health? You take we always take our health for granted, you know, yeah, uh, until you're injured, you know. And even all squash players know that you get injured, and it's the most frustrating thing because you always oh. think, Well, if I work hard and do things, I'll just things will go, and all of a sudden, you get an injury, you know. Yeah. And or you or sometimes you 
you come back too quickly and you injure something else because you're compensating because you're, you're not trying to put too much weight on one leg or one, and then all of a sudden you got a problem with your hip. So it's, it's like, it's yeah, that, that's really my issue now. I've got a bit of a hip issue. I, you know, mm-hmm. it just seems to have crept up on me and uh, I've been running a lot uh, lately and then it just sort of uh, flared up again. But uh, yeah. I think I'll just have to so, try to take it easy. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, one of the easiest things, and it sounds kind of uh, strange saying that, you know, it's counterintuitive, is to train too hard because you think, well, always more is good, you know. Yeah, no pain, no gain. Yeah, not, not, not necessarily the case, especially <laughs> when you, um, I think there was a thing on the college about Hershey Blanchard motivational tool, you know. So if someone has a menial job, they require more supervision. If someone has a very sort of, cool job they don't need that supervision because they're already uh, inclined to work at it because they enjoy it yeah. so you have to uh, look at an athlete and say is this person a natural sort of driven person who wants to train hard and if they are and they're injured you got to get them to step back because they're yeah. probably going to work too hard yeah. and you know there's a difference mm-hmm. between being lazy and being you know judgment using good judgment so you have to really sort of say okay this person uh, has a strong work ethic likes to work hard does, does all the right things and is injured maybe they're doing too much and you got to ease off a little bit you know now i made a no, now renee i made a, a little note here that that uh, even before the pandemic uh, hit us and i you know i don't like i don't want to make light of the pandemic obviously but uh, i um i i think you came up with the self-isolation circuit training uh, at home a routine before any uh, of this uh, suddenly came up. You were posting videos yeah. of push-ups, pull-ups, uh, yeah. circuit training. So I guess you, sort of you with the uh, you know stay-at-home orders that we've received, uh, you've been able to hit the ground running. So to, uh, no pun intended. Yeah. But, uh, um, how, so how how's that? First of all, uh, how how's your fitness these days? Uh, you know, uh, and uh, how have you managed to stay fit? This strong and this fit, uh, you know. I don't for so I think many, you're in your sixties, anyways. Uh, at your age, uh, well, I just turned sixty in Barbados uh, when okay. I was there in February. Uh, so I celebrated Congratulations. for uh, a long, a long bike ride. You know, which is nice thing to do. Um, well, you know, it's important not to preach to other people. If you want to get fitter, and if that's what you enjoy doing, then go at it. And if I encourage some people to keep keep active and it's, you know, once you sit down and start doing it you know, your body starts seizing up so i like to keep active um some people just say well he's crazy you know i'm just posting all this <laughs> stuff. the best yeah. thing is about it is you don't you don't you can unfollow you don't have to watch i'm not trying to preach to people i'm also no i mean it does, it's motivating to, to me i mean jesus i I, look, I watch the videos and i uh, i've seen your footage and stuff and uh say if he's doing it, then, you know, I should be doing yeah, it. Well, I mean, I'm well, younger I'm than him. So I'm, I'm doing 50 push-ups every, as soon as I wake up, 50 push-ups, right out of bed, roll out of the sack, 50 push-ups. And then I did my circuit today, um, one of these pyramid things where you, you go 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 okay. with six different exercises okay. and then back down again. So I think I'm over 200 push-ups today, Renan. Oh, wow. I better get busy because I'm... I do my push-ups after this. Push-ups are the and and uh, this speaks to my newfound sort of passion for you know hard work. Uh, I hated push-ups for most of my life. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
they're great. You know, and I, mm, I have yeah. a pull-up bar in my, I have a pull-up bar in my bedroom and I have one down the basement and I travel with one and I left one in Barbados. You travel with one. Now, now that's passion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, because you can do so much. You can do leg extensions, pull-ups, chin-ups. You can do twists, all sorts of stuff, you know, and it doesn't yeah. take up that much room. And, uh, you know, yeah, those body weight exercises are, are great. Yeah. And you know, it's, so you don't need, because I went to Kenya, you know, and worked with some athletes there, some runners, because, uh, at the Commonwealth Games in um, 2014 in, in Glasgow, uh, we were sitting, the Jamaican team sitting there, and we're all chatting away. And then the Kenyan team was sitting next to us. And I speak some Swahili. So I said hi in Swahili, and they went, What the heck? Who's this white guy? Who's this Mzungu? <laughs> Swahili. <laughs> Jeez, with a Jamaican he speaks team. French, Swahili, uh, English. What's, what's oh, going yeah, on here? Well, <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm a regular Google Translate. So. Uh, Jamaican Patwa, you know, so uh, <laughs> the guy who was sitting next to me, he had won the silver medal in the uh, marathon. He's a 206 marathoner, Steve. Wow. And uh, he says, you need to come to my village. So I went to his village uh, later that year and I spent a month there. No electricity, no running water. Uh, they run about 200 kilometers a week. They give me a 10 kilometer head start on a run and they catch me, you know, uh, but <laughs> wow, they, wow. they could, they couldn't keep up with me in the circuit training or pushups and sit-ups and stuff. So my course training. Is that was something that, uh, you know, that was challenging for them? Did they enjoy that part? Yeah, they did. Well, they said, you know, they still call me coach. I'm not their coach really. I, I, but I did talk about, you know, training is training and, uh, you know, they'd put in a lot of volume. So I was talking about, you know, how to prepare for, you know, tapering before a race and what you should eat and stuff, you know, but they have so little, you know, I mean, uh, and mm. I went back a few years later and they were getting electricity put in just to part of that village. And so I bought them a fridge um, and I said, you can put your milk in here so it won't go bad. You can put ice. So if you have you want to eat ice and six of the 20 guys there had never touched ice. Wow. They touched it. They went, Baridi, which means cold and Swahili. And I said, yeah, it's ice. They said, what is ice? You know, they never experienced it. And the kids around there had never seen a white man ever. Wow. Because wow. It, was that, it was that remote. Uh, mm. They don't have TV and electricity. So they just knew what to call me, which is Mzungu. And they'd come up and they'd touch me. And, you know, uh, great experience. But I guess when I'm... So there, I was telling someone, they're all set for the pandemic. Because for them, everything's the same. They're just doing their training. They don't have a gym. They, uh, yeah. we, we did, you know, Russian twists. You've been communicating with them uh, these days or yeah. is it possible to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's on uh, WhatsApp or text yeah. messages, you know, yeah. so uh, we, we communicate and see how they're doing. And, uh, it's not like back in the day. Cause I remember touring Kenyon 82 with Brian Patterson and, uh, I was there during my, my, it was my dad's birthday. I had to get in line for an hour and a half to send uh, a wire transfer, uh, telegram, telegram to him. And, uh, you know, he's, he was familiar with World War II, so scared the hell out of him because when he got this telegram, he thought I died, you know. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> he says, what's this? He said, they did, there was a telegram and he didn't want to, he had my mother open it up because he did, couldn't do it. And it was just like, happy birthday, dad, you know, from Kenya. How oh, ironic. Said, Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that again. But yeah. I, I kid with people because it was such an ordeal to try and make a phone call or correspond with anybody in Canada. And now it's just like, well, you're in Dubai and we're trying to, you know, I, Yeah, we I set this up pretty easily, didn't we? Yeah. I, I message people every day on WhatsApp or have WhatsApp calls with people in Kenya. Yeah, WhatsApp is fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's great. But they're, 
getting back to your original question is that, mm. you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do at home. I mean, I, uh, the great thing about a gym is that you go out and you can meet people and, you know, you have you like that environment. It's great. I've never really needed that. I've always trained a lot on my own. So, uh, unfortunately in Ottawa, we can still go out and bike and do things. So I yeah. go out biking uh, and I can do that. Yeah, well, I mean, even here, uh, uh, like I played, I played golf today, you know, two of us were out there self, you know, social distancing more or less. No, not allowed to uh, touch the, the flag, the, the pin or anything like that. So, uh, certain things you can do, but uh, I, I do my circuits uh, at home and I run around uh, our compound and try to keep it, uh, you know, uh, demonstrate my civic responsibility in some way, you know, try to stem the spread. But what are you, uh, what are you doing in terms of your own circuits uh, these days uh, or, or your own training uh, right now, Renee? Well, I've, uh, I bike um, pretty much every day. I don't go... 30, 50 kilometers. I have one of these elliptical bikes uh, yeah. and uh, they're, they're amazing because they're about 33% harder than cycling and you're standing. So it's almost like you're running and you're up pretty high. Uh, so I get a lot of looks on the Ottawa River Parkway. Wow, look at that. <laughs> What's that? You know? And yeah. the other day I bumped into someone coming at me with one. So he's new. Okay. Like for, this might be my third year. So we both sort of give us each other a thumbs up. But I do a lot of that because I can get my heart rate at, at a sort of anaerobic aerobic threshold a lot sooner on that than on the bike obviously you could do it on the bike but you need more distance because this is heavier and you're standing and because you're standing up there's a little more wind resistance especially if you're going against the wind because you're like a human sail so i do a lot of i do that i i went running yesterday but my knees are a little bit messed up so i i gotta run on gravel or pine needles or something but uh, i can't right. run on pavement so i just uh did a couple kilometers and I shut it down because my knee was bothering it a bit. So I probably have to sort of ease off the running. Yeah. Uh, so I do that. I do weights uh, every other day and I do circuits uh, three times a week as well. Okay. So well, it sounds something about, you know, uh, similar to what I'm yeah. doing, you know, mix it up yeah, a bit. And right thing. Yeah. You know, and I, and I always try to find other things, you know, uh, I saw this thing on Georges Saint-Pierre, you know, an uh, NA fighter and uh, he has this little app and he does all sorts of, crazy body work exercises, but they're all sort of require a lot more flexibility than I have. Yeah. So yeah. do that stuff in there just to keep, keep it, keep it different and keep it interesting, you know? Yeah. When I, but you know, I, I try to do that kind of stuff too. And then, you know, once I, you know, have to come upon a, uh, an exercise that I can't do, I just tweak it so that I, I can sort of do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So well, I, yeah. That, you know, I, I get, do a lot you know which is fun it's yeah like well keep posting those videos they're inspirational i mean it got me to you know step my game up a bit so keep keep it going please well you know squash is a a sport that requires so many different elements fitness wise you know you need the flexibility you need the core strength balance yeah. you know because it's, you know when i coach when i average people and i think that's probably that's probably my forte as much as i like coaching many players is it's about how do you get to the ball, how much you're balanced, because you can't move if you're not balanced. So if you watch good players, you know, as much as the technique's important and all that stuff, watch how they move and get to the ball, because I used to keep a database on everybody I coached on a computer. This was, you know, when, before people were using computers, and I'd look up, you know, characters being too close, and 90% of everybody, you know, you're too close to the ball, and mm. because they overrun, so their movement's not right, you know, so they don't... So, do a lot of drills, a lot of repetition. You got to get that. You know, you got to 
Y'all slow. I mean, do this in your sleep. Ghosting is great. I mean, even if it's not yeah. uh, it just sort of slow ghosting, just to get your rhythm. Get your rhythm. Be balanced. You know, hit a ball and see if you can stand still after hitting hitting that ball. And I bet you ninety percent of the players can't mm. feed themselves a ball, hit it, and stick it like a landing in gymnastics because that tells you a lot about how you got to that position. Yeah, you get to that position, yeah. and if you're off balance. It takes you a second to get balanced before you move. And the ball yeah. travels about three, three to four meters in a second. You know? So you're always, then it becomes like a snowball effect because you now have to sprint even faster to get to the next ball and you can't break. So now you're out of position. So you're bouncing around the court like a pinball. You know, as, but, so do drills you know, uh, where you know where the ball is going to be so you can work on your ball control, work on your movement, racket preparation. Because, you know, people get better when they get lessons, not because, not just because of what the coach says, but they're being fed balls, so they get the opportunity to, to get it right. Yeah. And if you, if you apply that to your squash as a player, you know, don't move on until you get this 70 to 80% right. You become a much better squash player, you know, and I had a lot of success as a coach because I got people to hit the ball well and move on in their balance and then becomes so much easier to play a drop shot if you've already know what you're doing with a drive. You know, you've yeah. already got the mechanics down. So you gotta, you know, I tell people wherever I go, I say, uh, you know, there's a saying in Canada, you can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. It's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So if you're not stable, you're no. not going to be able to hit the ball well. So it's a lot. So much has to do with that. Well, that's you know, true. That's so true. I, I remember uh, when I was a junior, and I'd, I've been doing pretty well as a junior. Um, my the one of the pers- uh, one of my coaches at the time she told me you know and my movement was probably my weakest part of the game and she told me okay this is what i want you to do i want you to move back down from men's a back down to uh, uh men's c and we're going to totally change your movement patterns yeah and i i didn't do it right uh, i i i just didn't see the point i was too young maybe too immature but later on i uh I approached her and I, uh, a few years later and I said, I want to try that. And it really helped. Yeah. Well, you need, uh, as a player, you need people who you're going to beat fairly comfortably so you can work on your game because we have progressions in coaching, you know, technical, you know, skill acquisition, skill perfection, skill integration. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to do it. Then you learn how to perfect it. Then you integrate it. But people want to go from, barely skilled acquisition right to integration and it falls out when they play. So if you play people that you can beat, you can really hone those skills. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are going to beat you are doing the same thing. So you need that you need that mix. You can't always be under the cosh and under trouble because you're just going to pick up bad habits. Because yeah. you're always going to be scrambling. You know, so you need to be able to master something at a certain level. I tell people, you know, if you're uh, it's easy to get a speeding ticket. Parallel parking isn't as easy. You know, right. But everybody can get anybody can get a speeding ticket. Not everybody can parallel park. Right. And if you're riding, if you're riding, a, driving a car, or riding a bike, and you go around a curve and you almost lose control, next time you slow down. Well, people need to slow down when they play as well to feel that they're in control of what they're doing. So as opposed to just dashing around the court. I still can't parallel park, Renee. So. Well, you know. I'm sure in Dubai they have those great cars that will automatically do it. Exactly, you got and you got to be careful too. I mean, when you're parallel parking in Dubai, you you might have a Bentley on you know one, and then behind you a Maserati, and then I've got a uh, a Mitsubishi. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you're, <laughs> you're 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 a man of the people. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, uh, you've been really great with your time. Lots of really good stuff there. Uh, sorry it took so long uh, for us to touch oh, no, base, but really appreciate uh, your time. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. It's, I know a lot of people uh, are enjoying it because I get a lot of feedback from it. Uh, you, know, you really learn a lot about the inner workings of squash and the different people around the world who love squash because we're really all passionate. You know, Jamie Maddox does, does a great thing there because he's getting people talk about older squash players and, you know, different styles of play. and Absolutely, uh, yeah. People from different cultures. I mean, he, he's bringing uh, in the young and the old. He's got Kamar Zaman yeah, on there, uh, you know, yeah, and he has, commenting uh, on stuff, not, so. Ishan, Ishan uh, from Ishan, Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. Had him on, yeah, you know, <laughs> did you listen to him broken, on my podcast? Broke, he was hilarious. No, but it's on my to-do to list. Uh, yeah. you know, broken pipe, you know. I said I got to keep up with Ishan. So it, what you, it is, it's phenomenal. It's real good for the game. And uh, I would encourage you to talk to Tony and certainly talk to Brian Patterson, who is now doing City Squash in New York. And he's okay. instrumental in growing the sport in New York. And okay, well, I might, I'll, I'll hit now. you up for, for some contact details, if you don't mind, maybe later on, if that's okay. Please do, please All do. Right. Renee, appreciate stay you. Hit. Thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy. Well, that was a lot of fun catching up with Renee Denny. Many thanks, uh, Renee. Uh, the stories there, the insight there. He's been there and done that, uh, coached all the greats from North America and, of course, uh, what he's doing now uh, in Jamaica with Chris Minnie. So, uh, obviously, he's got a lot of insight, a lot of intel, some great stories that he told today. And he's probably still one of the fittest guys around, uh, probably fitter than uh, people half his age. Uh, Renee, thanks again so much. And I just want to say thank you, uh, everyone. I've been getting a lot of really good feedback of late, some great messages from some of the listeners, some suggestions, advice. I've been fooling around with the sound levels on my editing uh, uh, app that I use for the podcast. And uh, that was something that someone mentioned uh, I ought to look into. And many thanks for that piece of advice because I've managed to uh, figure that a little bit anyway. So hopefully the sound levels aren't as uh, dodgy as they were uh, over the last little while. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Danny Lee and uh, Dan uh, Zilich, both of whom uh, donated a little bit to uh, to my podcast recently. And uh, you know, I encourage all of you, if you have uh, you know through a, a few cents to throw into the hat, you can do that on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, there's a uh, sponsor or, or, or a donation link next to each of the, the episodes but no worries this is all for free uh, anyway so but just to, you know if you want to donate to the podcast you can do so there now um, again uh, this week uh, I forgot to mention we've got a big one coming up uh, in a few days I don't want to jinx it because I've jinxed a couple in the past but uh, a big name that I've been really looking forward to for the last little while and finally it's uh, hopefully going to come to fruition uh, over the next few days so uh, really looking forward to that coming uh, through for me uh, so stay tuned for that we've got some other great episodes coming up as well uh, and most importantly everyone everyone uh, let's um, battle through this uh, this time together, you know, uh, our civic responsibilities to do what we can to stem the spread of the virus. I think, you know, the squash community is doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, they're, you know, when there are people uh, playing, they're under quarantine, you know, there's no, no sneakiness uh, about any of this. It doesn't seem to be anyways. Obviously, there there may be a few people being reckless out there, but uh, that's just the nature. That's just... Uh, 
life's nature in a way. But uh, let's hope we can get through this together. Sooner or later, we'll be back on court if we take the right steps and, uh, you know, we're careful and stem the spread because, uh, you know, we miss this game. It's great to, to have these things like podcasts and YouTube videos to stay connected, but there's no substitute uh, for getting out on court. So, uh, you know, keep up the good fight, everybody, and uh, let's continue to stem the spread so we can get back on court soon. Everyone take care and have a great day. Goodbye now.